around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons. Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Far enough away from the jackhammering that uh don't think it's going to be picked up on the microphone. I mean, actual jackhammering, we won't be hearing. No. Maybe no. some lap jackhammering. <laughs> the viewers might be picking up later. Yeah. We got... A retaining wall in the front of our house that when we bought the house was leaning into the street and now it's getting jackhammered out and and rebuilt properly the whole wall is being taken out yeah wow yeah big changes happening around here that's always been a scary situation that leaning concrete wall look yeah yeah that you see all the time i take my dog on walks around the neighborhood you know this yeah this isn't a lie. No. People know this about me. Uh-huh. There's a wall that I go by sometimes that it's maybe a four or five foot tall brick wall. Like it's it overhangs the sidewalk so much that I like don't really like taking Dar past that house because in the like extremely like uh, earthquake is all but assured, but the idea that I would be walking in front of that house, very, very unlikely. But in in the case that I was walking in front of that house and an earthquake happened, I'm like scared for the pup. Yeah, I mean, a wall of any height is going to really do some damage against you and the pup. Yeah. But you hear about it also. Like you hear about these walls coming down. Yeah. And uh and workplace accidents happening because of it. Yeah. It's shitty. I I don't want to live in in Canada, man. I don't want to go out like that. <laughs> I don't want to get taken out by a wall. Yeah. Is that that's just all they have in Canada, right? Is like horrible workplace accidents <laughs> and politesse. <laughs> yeah, from what I know from their commercials, it's a constant threat. Yeah, that's why they're always ap- apologizing for stuff they didn't even do. It's just like, I'm sorry that this wasn't more exciting. I'm sorry you didn't get burned in in a uh, fryer oil. <laughs> you know, if Goodfellas was in Canada, that tracking shot through the kitchen. Mm. <laughs> Would have been a disaster. Would have ended up way different. Yeah, yeah. And then he would have been cutting the the garlic with the razor blade and just slicing bits of his finger off. Yeah. Bit by bit. Yeah. That movie, if you could imagine, becomes even more graphic. (laughs) Fuck you, enact workplace safety standards. (laughs) Wow, well, I'm glad your contractors are allowing the show to happen. You never know. Yeah. You never know if it's going to be too noisy, but we're lucking out today. Ben, you have an old house and they're doing a lot of excavating. Have they found anything in the dirt? Nothing that cool. They found like a yeah. the hub of a car wheel. Yeah. And like a rotten hammock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like chains and like what obviously used to be a rope hammock, but could not be described as that anymore. Man. You know what? If you were to lay a rope hammock into the ground in your backyard, the weeds would just take it in a week. <laughs> right. So I understand. I don't believe it's carelessness by the previous owner. I think it's just your backyard taking it. No, man. We don't have any weeds in our backyard now. 
Our our backyard is is entirely weedless. Eventually, those weeds will want revenge because yeah, they were thick back there. That's what weeds do. <laughs> they were so indiscriminate taking out weeds that they took out my tomato plant along the way. <laughs> so uh, don't even ask. Just yeah. take it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, do whatever you need to do. <laughs> do you get spit bugs around here? Around the Northwest, you'd get a lot of spit bugs that lived in the weeds. Is that like the little foamy guys? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, they, and they'd shoot their foam at you. I don't think I've seen that in, in SoCal. I know, I know what you're talking about, though. Boy, if you had them in your backyard, you'd, you'd look like uh, the end of Ghostbusters <laughs> after walking through there. The end of Ghostbusters or the beginning of Jackass Forever. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Did you say you saw that on a seatback television? No, I was watching. I we were on a flight that had good enough uh, in-flight Wi-Fi that I was uh-huh. on the Paramount Plus app for other work-related reasons, mm-hmm. and I was like done with that. And I was like, "What else do they got on here?" And Jackass Forever was one of the things, and the uh, the nice old lady that had been having a conversation with me before we went wheels up. Got an eyeful of dong. <laughs> and I, I, didn't, I didn't know that's how that movie started. Nobody warned me. That really explains a lot because I, I turned on that movie not too long ago and its beginning was shocking Yeah, yeah. in all the ways you've described. I mean, they warn you that, that you're not supposed to imitate the stunts that you see performed, but they don't warn you, hey, there's going to be a lot of dick right at the beginning of this. <laughs> I just had no idea there would be a version suitable for airplanes possible. Yeah, no. Like, there's no cutting around what that is. No, that's, uh, there's never going to be a a kid-friendly cut of Jackass Forever. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's all of 18 minutes. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's just react shots. Uh Uh-huh. It's just Dark Shark putting a dome over his head, and then it cuts away before anything else happens. Yeah, that's it. That's all. <laughs> Just introductions. Yeah. Uh, well, Adam, some more introductions to some haunting backstories of characters in this week's episode of Strange New Worlds. Do you want to get into the episode? Sure do, Ben. It's Star Trek Strange New World Season 1, Episode 3, Ghosts of Illyria. The entrepreneur is in orbit of a planet that is... Got a, a big old ion storm around it. An ion storm that is like a really arresting image because it looks like a cloud that is bigger than the planet itself that is like yeah. coming and engulfing the planet. I'm starting to get the feeling that the effects professionals on this show are doing this at the other <laughs> Star Trek shows. <laughs> because as good as the effects have been in New Trek up until now, these ones for Strange New Worlds are like they belong in a movie theater. They are yeah. so epic looking. And and this is one example. It's real, real pretty. This is, I think, called Hedimit 9. Yeah. I wasn't really sure how to spell Hedimit 9, but that's what I heard. I think you heard correctly. <laughs> that's what I wrote down. And this is a former colony of Illyrians that uh, Starfleet occasionally pokes its head in on to see if they can figure out what happened to these people, because they are... Gone, baby, gone. Right. When you're in the area, you want to do, it's not so much a wellness check, because they know they're dead. They know they're not well. But it's like uh, when you're a kid and the abandoned house in the neighborhood seems 
like something you want to ride your bike to and check out mm-hmm. with your buddies. This is that house in the neighborhood. I looked up Illyrians. They apparently come from a uh, Star Trek colon Enterprise episode. Oh, it'll be a long time before we meet them then. Yeah, yeah. Well, we met them here first, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But they're a species of humanoids that's engaged in heavy amounts of gene modification, which meant that they were ineligible to join the Federation, and they were just kind of like alien trash of the galaxy kind of energy. Yeah. And uh, this particular group has vanished. So Starfleet is curious as to why. This planet is obviously a tomb. Mm-hmm. We, we learned that straight away. Really cool combination of effects shots and real buildings, this environment down on the surface. It's you know kind of a ruin, but it's buildings that are built over an ocean. Uh, really great looking. Yeah, I mean, as much as the Illyrians got into genetic modifications, so too did the camera crew getting into drone footage <laughs> during this opening. We get a lot of those like top-down, yeah. circular, rotating, establishing shots. Very cool. Everybody's in their action jackets on this away mission, and Pike and number one kind of open the episode talking about, uh, hey, we probably ought to get out of here. This storm is really getting close, and it's the kind of storm that is even bigger than the planet we're on. <laughs> Yeah, no shit. There's really not going to be any escape from it. And I mean, the one person missing from the away team at this point is Spock. And so Pike decides to go and get him. But before he gets found, Pike tells Ensign Lance to to get to the place where they're getting beamed out. And boy, this Ensign Lance, Ben, maybe one of the best looking characters on the show up until now. Just... (laughs) Just uniquely attractive in a way that draws your eyes, but like he's got kind of that everyman mm. quality about him. That that if they ever recast this guy, I would like to see Ensign Lance eventually go out an airlock or <laughs> through a, a hull breach. You know, this I believe uh, we're making bets in early season Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Daniel Gravel actor. Yeah. Really going to go places, I think. I was drawn to him immediately. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was outraged personally when I saw Ensign Lance, not because of what he looks like, but because of the fact that he's holding a regular ass flashlight. I clocked this too, man. What? This is fucking Star Trek. What is he doing? <laughs> Come on. I want it to be wrist-mounted, I want it to be shoulder-mounted, I want it to be a weird box that you have to hold with your whole fucking hand. Yeah. What is the fucking... He's got like a mag light, he looks like he's a cop. I love that it's like a soft, a soft light <laughs> a bulb inside, like like you'd want to read by it. Yeah, a nice amber hue to this, to this light. This is not a 56K light in there. It's warm as hell. So much of the prop and set design in Strange New Worlds has already been superlative. This this fucking flashlight undoes so much work. Yeah, they, they pulled this flashlight off of the pile that they were using for blue bloods. <laughs> Next lot over. Do not use the blue bloods flashlight on Star Trek, guys. Uh, so... <laughs> So the the bulk of the away team gets up to the roof of one of these buildings and radio up to the entrepreneur to uh, beam them up. I was thinking a lot about the thankless 
role transporter chief is if you're an actor. Like, hey, you're going to be on Star Trek as the transporter chief. I mean, here's the thing. He's like an editor, right? You only notice him when things go wrong. Right. Yeah, exactly. And despite that, I think Andre Day Kim has thrown himself into the role of transporter chief in a way that is really admirable because he has really thought about how he works this machine and what it looks like when he is doing it. Yeah. And the way he like throws those sliders is like, it looks like a person who is incredibly talented at piano or something. Like he really like puts some body energy into it. It's really great. It doesn't look like pantomime. It looks like actually affecting switches and buttons and sliders. Yeah. And it adds like emotion to it when he pushes them up and nobody materializes. It's like, oh, fuck. Transporter room to engineering. Hammer, I'm losing them. There's a quality in this scene related to that, which is in addition to how Kyle operates the transporter, like the schematics and the things on screen, especially the screens that Hammer interacts with, yeah. are so beautiful and detailed yeah. that when you throw from Kyle to Hammer and back, you get this, <laughs> this technical visual language. Yeah. That is just really interesting and fun to look at. Yeah, so Hemmer is being asked to put more power into the transporter system. So we go down to engineering, and this is the first really great look we've gotten at engineering. And it's another just 10 out of 10 awesome looking set. And Hemmer, you know, rejiggers some stuff and reroutes some power. And we see the lights dim throughout the ship as uh, as he does this, but... He's able to throw enough power Chief Kyle's way that the away team materializes on the pad and they do not turn into cat food in the process. How did you? I'm a genius. I really love that moment. Like when your HVAC clicks on, there's that little <laughs> blurf. Yeah, yeah. And the power in your home. <laughs> They're going to want to install a, a new panel on the Enterprise next time it cruises to space dock. <laughs> the overhead on this building is surprisingly low given the fact that the power has been upgraded recently. But the homeowners only wanted 40 total watts, which is a very strange choice. Yeah. I tell you that, my house has a 40-watt overhead. Yeah. Like, you plug two things in, you're fucked. <laughs> That's the same uh, range as the phase plasma rifle that the Terminator wants oh. to use in Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Yeah, all right. The phase plasma rifle with the 40-watt range. You know your weapons, buddy. So it is a useful amount of power. Uh-huh. <laughs> Pike and Spock kind of late to the game. Spock has found a scroll that's like in encased in lucite but they get up to the roof it's fun science fiction right when it's techno scroll yeah yeah some kind of some kind of superior form of scroll yeah he brings the whole magilla with him they go up to the roof and they try to energize but uh, no can do yeah. can't get a lock and they were running <laughs> into the theme after that <laughs> Yeah, they're gonna uh, they're gonna have to wait the storm out. So we get our uh, our opening credits, and when we get back, number one is on the lift, heading to the bridge, 
and looking a little dazed, but uh, she kind of announces to the crew like, hey, so Captain and Spock are going to be down there. I'm in charge for the time being. No panic. We'll just keep doing our jobs and, uh, and wait this storm out until we can beam them up. She's got an important job because she's the substitute teacher now. She's got to make that first impression that lays down the law a little bit. Yeah. She doesn't even sit in that chair. No. She gives some orders, though. Isn't it interesting, though, like the the difference in, in lensing or vignettes that they use in this scene? Because when Rebecca Romaine stands behind the chair, everything is extremely blurry around her. But when we cut around to the different stations that she's ordering around, yeah. everything is tack sharp. Yeah, that is interesting. The big order is like, get comms back to Ahura. We need to be able to communicate with the captain. Meantime, everybody just do what you do. And uh, we cut down to a hallway where Ortegas is walking. And she comes across Ensign Lance getting ready to get intimate with a light panel. Ensign Lance? You all right? It's too dark in here. I mean, you see Ensign Lance here taking off some clothes and... Like, just a really good body. Like, not a body that's going to, like, roll eyes back at the, at the pool deck at a, at a hotel or anything. But, like, fine. Like, serviceable and good, you know? Uh-huh. Not a total gross out. It does look like he fucks. Maybe this is something you should, you know, do in your own quarters. I need to feel the light on my skin. I'd, what I don't understand is Ortega's not being encouraging of him taking clothes off, she being like the main instigator of showing midriff. Right, yeah. Like, if anything, she's a little bit disturbed by what she's seeing, but come on. Like, he's doing what she wanted Ahura to do last episode. Sure, but I think it's kind of the same thing, like you mentioned the pool deck, and I think that like if you've got your swimsuit on under your clothes, there is a like weird thing that bumps in your mind when you get to the pool and start pulling the the pants and shirt off Mm -hmm. (laughs) that you have over your swimsuit. Like, wow, it's like I'm getting undressed in front of everyone. He's taking off his clothes. I'm wearing appropriate clothes for the pool under this, but the act of taking things off in front of people is something that is normally reserved for extremely private circumstances. That's a great point because when we find the great Ensign Lance in the hallway here, like there's a pile of clothes down there. We don't watch him disrobe. Yeah. Instead, it's it's just the aftermath. I, I feel like that's what Ortegas is, is reacting to more than his state of undress. Right. And the great Ensign Lance wants to be so close <laughs> to the light. He wants to be inside it. <laughs> yeah. So he headbutts this glass and she has to react all of a sudden to keep him from cutting his face open on the shards. At this moment, I was like, this is Ensign Lance's episode. <laughs> he is ready to take it over. Yeah. And I was so disappointed that this is basically the last we see of Ensign Lance. <laughs> he, he shone so brightly, but for such a short <laughs> amount of time, Adam. Yeah, he really did. Speaking of shining brightly and disrobing, down in Una's quarters, she is like, getting ready to tear her shirt off, which is uh, not necessary. She is in private. She could just take it off the normal way. We are starting to realize a quality of the senior staff's quarters on the Enterprise, though. And holy moly, this is a suite at a very nice boutique hotel that mm-hmm. Una's got going here. Yeah, it's not the presidential suite, but it's like it's up there on that floor. You still need a special swipe of your comm badge in the turbo lift to get to this floor. <laughs> right. 
But this is probably not like double doors opening presidential suite. No, no. This is a single door suite, isn't it? This is a suite that does not come with a butler. Right. Yeah. Yeah, she is interested in the light as well, the light on her desk, and gets right into it. Computer, increase illumination 25%. The uniform rip is something that distinguishes Una's reaction from everyone else's because it feels more naked now than anyone. Yeah. And at this moment in the episode, I was like, holy shit, man, they're really doing a naked now? I guess it's episode three, like, <laughs> right on time. <laughs> kind of a head fake there, isn't it? It's too bad Pike isn't in the room, because if she had done this shirt rip with him in there, yeah, he would have given us a ho, 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 ho. Right. But she does have her wits about her enough to call Six Bay, where Mabenga is like, hey, Everything all right? Because the rest of your away team are in here and they're feeling a kind of way about it. Yeah. She's like, yeah, no, I'm fine. And he's, <laughs> I mean, despite the fact that we just watched her turn into a a glowing ember person, she swears up and down that she's just doing great. But uh, he wants her to come down and uh, get a scan anyways, because everybody else has come down with something weird. So... She changes shirts and heads down there. Did it make you distrust her knowing that she lies in this moment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I think that the first and second watch throughs of this episode hit really different in this moment mm-hmm. because- Absolutely, yeah. Um, when you know why she is dissembling to the doctor, you know, like, and the first time through, I was like, man, like, I know that they're trying to go for a throwback vibe and like, you know, honor some of Star Trek's early days with this series, but the like not telling anyone a medical secret for the pride of it is like such a fifties guy idea that was present in innumerable TOS and TNG episodes, but like feels insane (laughs) to write into, uh, you know, like the, they just like, "Ah, I would never admit to anyone I was sick, even my own doctor, you know? It does have that very contemporary quality that you'd see in like an outbreak film where there's always that one guy or the zombie film, the one guy hiding the zombie bite. Right. Yeah. And I wanted to believe that Una was better than the person who hides the zombie bite. And I think that in, I mean, this episode is full of terms that we all became much more familiar with during COVID. Mm -hmm. And I think that the way she behaves also hits really hard just in the era that we're living in because it's like oh man if you had the sniffles and you went on a flight you like (laughs) without testing you know that's a really dick move so uno being like no nothing wrong with me i'm gonna run some dirt on it and uh, go interact with lots of the rest of the crew right feels uniquely dangerous right now this illness is uniquely dangerous at this moment because it doesn't read as anything familiar like it's viral or bacterial no it's just that everyone who's come down with it has an extremely low level of vitamin d yeah they've got low d ben yeah low d vitamin d i would say i've got medium d i was gonna say ensign lance definitely doesn't have low d or does he average d is what i've got yeah appreciably like a nice d yeah but not the biggest you ever saw no it works Uh uh-huh Sometimes. But Una is fine. She does not have low D. No. She's got plenty of D. Yep. 
And so that kind of lends something to the what's going on here thing in your mind when you watch this the first time. There's like an incredulity about like the biofilters are supposed to get this, guys. Like, how did it get through the biofilters? Trusting the biofilters is just the most classic Star Trek mistake. (laughs) I like how this sequence unfolds because when everyone in Six Bay is talking about how the biofilters should have gotten it, we cut to engineering with Hammer and he says, well, that's impossible because the biofilter takes anything out that it doesn't recognize. It's not being selective. Yeah. It's just if it's not familiar, it's not coming in. I like that a lot. It's like the body bouncer. Mm-hmm. And you're just wrapped in velvet ropes. <laughs> yeah. Got to bring in a couple of girls. Disease. This is a fun interplay between Una and Hammer, a relationship that I'm really starting to enjoy the more I, I see them interact. Yeah. Because he's got an answer to every question Una has, but none of those answers are satisfying to her. I can sense that expression, you know. Oh, I know. And then he just sort of promises to do the shipwide diagnostic to see if anything pops. Like, like her specificity isn't really working. What they need to do is cast like a wider net. When I was a freelance filmmaker, I wish I'd had the the chutzpah to speak to my clients the way Hammer speaks to mm-hmm. to number one. Because when she orders this shipwide diagnostic, like if it's me being told I need to do a third round of edits on the music video, I'd be like, "Cool, so I'm gonna just be up all night for three days." Yeah, just as long as you're okay with that. Yeah, you're cool with that. You're you're cool with asking that of me, right? <laughs> for no more money. Really? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, Una's cool with it. <laughs> She's perfectly happy to order him to do that. But not without getting some lit back, which yeah. is great. Yeah. She goes up to the bridge where they finally have a blurry FaceTime from Captain Pike, but it doesn't last long enough for her to give him a ton of information. She's like, hey, everybody is sick up here. It's no picnic for us either. <laughs> and then they lose the connection. <laughs> I wonder how often they went back and forth between whose POV this should have been because the POV being on the bridge of the Enterprise just emphasizes the frustration of having a captain away from the ship and not being able to, you know, utilize that person's leadership or decision making. Right. But if you're down on the planet, I think it hits totally different. Right. And, And they suggest this a little bit later, like... Pike's frustration with being away from a ship that and not being able to really do anything at all while being hunkered down. Yeah. But I kind of feel like that gets smothered a bit. Right. I wonder if that decision comes from not knowing what screen he's using to talk to them. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Because, like, I don't think that they want to show him, like, holding his communicator out with, like, a holographic screen coming out of it because that kind of isn't what it would look like in TOS and they don't want to just have everything right be super duper different. Yeah, what is he looking at? I don't know. So I'm wondering if maybe the decision was forced by that constraint more than the emotion that they wanted to evoke in this moment. The first draft of this scene is Pike getting on screen and doing his famous bit of Una... Are you naked? (laughs) And then Una like tries to get into telling him what the situation is on the ship, but there's even less time to tell him (laughs) before it gets cut off. 
She heads into uh, an office and starts doing some research on Illyrians and genetic engineering. And uh, it doesn't seem like it's specifically Hedimit 9 Illyrians that she's looking into, but Illyrians in general. Mm-hmm. This is when La'an Nunyan Singh comes in and sees this gene engineering research. And this is a pretty charged topic for her, given her ancestry. The way the scene unfolds, I found really interesting because it starts so neutral. Yeah. And then it really slides off the road into something that affects La'an a lot. Yeah. And they talk about like, hey, what's it like to grow up with that last name? And yeah. You know, the way you're treated, the things it makes you interested in as a child. and Are there strong opinions about what dishes are best served cold or hot <laughs> in your household? <laughs> if you saw a bug, what hole in your body would you put it into or none of the above? Do you find the uniform especially constricting, especially around the neck and chest area? <laughs> Sort of seems like this conversation is stressing out La'an and it leads her to kind of wander over to the desk where a desk lamp is irresistible to her. Is this the only light you have? She's got the solar coronavirus. Yeah. Yeah, she leans right in. She wants that light, that sweet, sweet light. This is a freaky moment because we know La'an wasn't on the away team, which means when we're in Six Bay, this vitamin D virus is spreading. And we're already in deep fucking shit. And Mbenga has one recommendation for this moment. What do you recommend, Doctor? Full lockdown. Computer, open a channel, ship wide. When outbreak strikes and masks aren't enough, you got to know the score. That's when you make a decision that's tough To stay at home and lock the doors We're gonna need a lockdown A montage of a lockdown At first it seems fine, you'll catch up on chores Or hobbies you've always wanted to try But day after day turns into a bore You've kissed your old life goodbye That's called a lockdown Can you believe we had a lockdown? When pandemic starts, you've got to hide And pick up meals from the curbside During a lockdown Food in restaurants during lockdown Always wear sweatpants in a lockdown If you tell people you learned a new skill No one believes you in a lockdown Lockdown, lockdown And Una's like, but what about the economy? <laughs> and Mbenga's like, I'm not sure if the movement of capital is as important as human life. That's just me. Oh, I think Mabenga has some pretty strong feelings about <laughs> what is or isn't worth the lives of everyone on the ship at this point. <laughs> yeah, so it's not a bacteria. It's not a virus. They have no idea how it's spreading. So everybody non-essential is confined to quarters and... This is a a pretty intense moment. You just kind of see this like... It's kind of a montage of lockdown footage, huh? People hearing about it all over the ship and, you know, reacting in a non-panicked way. There's nobody like uh, raiding the replicator for toilet paper or anything. Why do these sequences 
excite me so much. Like the the evacuation of a ship montage, yeah. the lockdown montage, scenes of this nature where people are, are running to a place or leaving their station in an emergency or whatever, or like a kid dropping a, a teddy bear onto the ground, <laughs> a, a Geordie rolling under a, a door coming down. Give me all of that. I love that stuff. I do too, yeah. Feel the same way about um, seeing people in hazmat suits. Like, I don't <laughs> ever want to be in a hazmat suit. I don't want to be in an emergency situation where suddenly we have to evacuate. Right. But if I see it in a movie or a TV show, I'm in. I love it. And like the person who writes the music for these scenes, I feel like they definitely know what they're doing. Absolutely. Heightening this tension. It's great. It's really good stuff. Down on the planet, Pike is pacing. I don't like feeling helpless. Pacing relentlessly back and forth will not change the situation. He's trying to get a hold of his situation. The science officer, happy to read his scrolls, but Pike is really feeling, you know, like he's in a straitjacket and it's driving him nuts. He's pretty cranky about it. The thing that Spock has picked up from reading these scrolls, and it looks like a banker's teller tube that you crank one side and you reveal more text to read. Yeah, like a line at a time. That seems to be the function of these things. Yeah. And what he's reading off of the scroll that he's got in his hands is that the Illyrians wanted to join the Federation, but their genetic experiments disqualified them from membership. And they're like, okay, that's fine. I'm going to change for you. Yeah, that's a new one. Indeed. And this is something in any relationship I would suggest not doing because <laughs> what the Illyrians do is they unwind their genetic modifications in order to qualify and then all hell breaks loose. They're living a lie. They're just trying to be someone that they aren't in order to impress yeah. the Federation. You want the Federation to like you for you. All of the downsides of this breakaway faction of Illyrians choice are... Not something that Spock and Pike have enough time to debate because they look out the window at the raging storm outside. And they see some paw wraiths out there. Yeah. I'm here too. I'm a Bajoran tablet. For some reason, the Illyrians have me on this planet as well. I've got more references to Deep Space Nine than Star Trek Picard. And that's a series that promised references to Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I snuck into that teaser trailer, but I'm actually in this series. Who'd have thunk it? I love how uh, how Pike and Spock, they, they look out the window, they look at each other, not really believing that they're in an episode of Star Trek when they see something crazy. Yeah, amazing. Something very Star Trek-y is happening outside the window. When we come back from commercial, we're in an episode of Lost, Adam. Extreme close-up on an eye-opening. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> it's Ahura in her bunk, yeah. and she opens up the, the bunk bay door to reveal her roommates playing Ookie Hologram of a Star. <laughs> what are y'all doing? <laughs> She's like, not in a co-ed sleeping quarters, guys. Gross. It's a good thing she interrupts them just before. Yeah, yeah. They they're both getting really close, and uh, uh-huh. and she ends the hologram. What did you do that for? We need light. And they're like, "Hey, I have sunburned balls now." <laughs> She's like, "That's not a thing." It seems like these roommates are going to take a swing at Ahura when we cut away. Yeah. Do you think we didn't get a scene of Ahura kicking both of their asses, or do you think <laughs> the ass kicking never happened? I mean, these are sunburned light junkies, so 
I think she probably could have kicked their ass, but I'm not sure if she does. Yeah. Yeah. The six bay has expanded to like a huge, like multi-level deck at this point. They're not quite at stack of toilet seats configuration. No. <laughs> they need to wait hundreds of years for that ability. Yeah. There are lots and lots of members of the crew that are super sick. And there's some very funny like background shots of like actors that are like getting, you know, desk lamps rolled over to their bio beds and just like, oh, give me it all. Oh. <laughs> there's a guy with like a string of Christmas lights mm-hmm. wrapped around him. Mm-hmm. He's tightening it around his neck. Yeah. <laughs> and playing Ookie hologram of a star. <laughs> <laughs> I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. This is a real mystery because we all saw how close Ahura was to these light junkies. Yeah. And Ahura doesn't have it. She didn't get the disease. And Una and Mabenge are talking about this when Hemmer comes down to continue his diagnostics. And now he wants to mess with the medical transporter. And Mabenga gets real freaked out by the idea that Hemmer is going to go in there and adjust something. Please stop messing around in here. I know it's only been three episodes, but do you think Hemmer has been given a direction where it's like, whenever you walk into a room, just fucking own it. <laughs> like, because the way he charges everywhere yeah. is great. It's one of my favorite things about a character I barely know is that, like, I know it's unusual for a person that doesn't have their sight to walk around as confidently as Hammer does, I guess. Right. And that's an aspect to it. But also, even if he were fully seeing, I think the way he carries himself is just extremely strong. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. And I mean... No slouch in the force of personality department is Mabenga, and the conversation between them is really intense. Hemmer is doing something, the lights go out. You think that that is caused by whatever Hemmer was messing with, but the patients in the Super Six Bay are dismayed by the lack of light, and this is enough for Mabenga to get Hemmer out of the room. This scene was medium confusing to me, and here's why. Like, we know Hammer has got some extra mental ability. Yeah. Where it is suggested from the last episode that he probably would have been able to tell that Mabango was deceiving him here. Yeah. And why was he unable to do that? Yeah. I... Knowing that the viewer can tell, like, Mabango is the guy on the light switch. Because the question it becomes, like, did Hammer not know that Mabango turned the lights off himself? Yeah. Or did he know and heard the desperation in Mabenga's voice and was like, all right, I don't want to like... Which was the thing he latched onto with his mental power. That's a great observation. Yeah. I don't feel like we get a good answer to that in this, but both are kind of interesting and help us understand what the limits of Hammer's abilities are. I mean, your hypothesis kind of makes Hammer an even more powerful figure because yeah. he's able to distinguish the difference. Yeah, right. And make a choice there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But by the end of the scene, it is definitely clear that Mabanga is hiding something that we don't know about. Yeah. Not a great look for the doc. So we got to worry about Mabanga and number one. Yeah. So far. Just a ship full of secret keepers. Too many secrets. Down on the planet, those paw rates are no longer outside the window. They're now coming through the door into the library where Spock and, and Pike are hunkered down. And they're they're trying to get the door closed. And Pike is going, shoot her! Shoot her! 
And they finally get it closed, but not before Spock catches a little bloody wound on his neck. I mean, this might be a minor quibble, but he was hit by a claw that's on fire. (laughs) And the wound on his neck is like he was wearing a wool turtleneck and uh, he may or may not be allergic to wool. (laughs) <laughs> like the wound is so superficial it was unbelievable to me yeah it looks like he cut himself shaving not like he got in a fight with a evil alien yeah and by the end of the episode you wonder whether or not the thing just didn't intend to wound him and that's why but right I don't, i'm not sure we can be sure of that no hey if i'm trying to help you and you slam my arm into the door yeah i may or may not reflexively try to claw <laughs> at your neck ben well, that's an interesting punch up, right? Like if he had gotten like rocked across the room, but was like able to like get up and dust himself off and had like a visible, pretty serious looking wound. And then later was like, hey, like maybe these guys actually don't want to hurt us. Yeah. That would have been a more powerful turnaround. Right. Because of his wound being so great and so accidental. Yeah. But uh, that is not the way they played it in this episode. Much more kind of house MD energy going on now on the ship when number one and Ahura go back to Ahura's quarters. So number one can kind of walk the room and and get a handle on what was going on in there. One thing I noticed in this moment is that uh, the Enterprise in Strange New Worlds probably has the best looking, most comfortable looking pillows in any Star Trek series yeah. in the history of the franchise. Yeah, you take a look at these things, not a triangle in sight. No. No sequins. They look like they would be like firm but soft and yeah. provide some good neck support, you know? One element to these bunks I want to call out, though, is how terrifyingly fast the door closes. <laughs> I like to sleep with my feet out from under the covers. Mm-hmm. I like I like my feet cold mm-hmm. when I'm sleeping. It helps. I would cut my feet right off <laughs> if I were sleeping in this bunk. Yeah, it's terrifying. I mean, it's like the the level of door closure speed that uh, Rios had on board his ship in right. Star Trek Picard. <laughs> yeah. What they come up with in this scene is that uh, Uhura was in total darkness when her roommates started trying to shoot ropes on the hologram of the sun. Yeah. And Uno takes this back to Six Bay and presents the results of her investigation to Mabenga and Nurse Chapel. This is a light-born contagion. Insidious and remarkable. Light rays are the thing that transmit it. And when you scan a patient that's got it, light rays are doing more around them than they do around normal people. The course of treatment that is suggested is like, hey, let's just shut the lights all over the ship. We're going to crash these guys out of their light addiction. Like Schwarzenegger says in True Lies, it's a light source alert. (laughs) You got to believe that Chapel is super down to sedate everyone on the ship. (laughs) Would it be too intrusive to sedate all of them? Which is what's required to go through with their plan. We're going to sedate everyone and then turn off the lights. So that they don't suffer from the withdrawal symptoms. That's nice, right? Nurse Chapel is is loving this plan. The research that Una is doing is now focused on the way Illyrian genetic adaptations were created to repel disease. 
And now she's starting to get into parts of the Starfleet database that are actually classified. Like she is rushing past warnings from the computer that this is sensitive information. Override, override. Looking deep into the gift shrunk about what's going on with a situation in which an Illyrian might encounter this light-based illness. And as she's doing this work, she gets a warning that something is up in the transporter room. And when she gets in there, Hemmer has beamed up a chunk of magma and is is like getting ready to give it a great big hug because he wants the light. It's a emergency. <laughs> that was great. That was great work, Ben. Sure is. <laughs> I mean, you see, he gets shot over this. You beam up magma, you best not miss. <laughs> I love the heat wobblies. That, that even begin out in the corridor when yeah. Una is approaching the transporter room. It looks real uncomfortable in there. Yeah. This is uh, sauna temperatures in there, like a Russian bathhouse. Hammer, it's a thousand degrees. It'll kill you. More like 10,000. When Hammer goes for the transporter pad and gets shot and then falls forward into it. Yeah. It sure does seem he should just melt in half, right? <laughs> it should just be legs. Right. Legs in a trunk, and then that's it. Be the opposite of that subway worker in the Tommy Lee Jones volcano movie. It's just burnt ends. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, she beams the magma back down before he can burn himself up. And then she, she just throws him over her shoulder like a sack of extremely light potatoes. There's so much slow motion hero walking here that <laughs> the show is like, hey, dummy, really pay attention to this part. Yeah. Even though I feel like a fireman's carry as a way of carrying someone is like physiologically a way to carry a heavy object or a person like this is yeah. this is how you're supposed to do it in an emergency situation. So it was a little confusing in that way, like. If you were to demonstrate super heroic lifting power from Una, it would not be fireman's carry to me. It would just be like a tray. (laughs) 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 Like a server would carry. She just just grabs the back of his belt and hoists him up over her head. I really do love seeing Hammer's uh, limp arms swinging back and forth behind her. That's big fun. The combination of the limp arms and the dummy's butt. Yeah. (laughs) Funny to me. I want to know everything about this dummy because they cut into like a mid on Una and it is dummy butt and legs (laughs) and a very stoic Una making Mm -hmm. the walk here. Yeah. So she is walking, knocked out hammer back down to six bay. And do people shit themselves when they're knocked out? I feel like that's a thing that happens, right? Yeah. You don't want the butt right next to your face like that. Number one. Why not? Or the junk, like like the growing, darkening, uh-huh. wet spot down her shoulder. What is the issue? Looks like number one's covered in number two. I mean, there's no super strength against that smell. No. <laughs> her body may be uh, hyper resistant to all manner of bacteria or viral infection, but uh, she's got nothing against smell. What do Andorian poops look like? Do they eat like snow or something? Like, do they have like extremely inoffensive dumps? Are you thinking that there's blue poop involved? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Just throwing it out there. 
It's like a, a very scatological version of the Blue Bada Bee song. <laughs> and Blue his poop and the peas that he takes <laughs> and the beer that he drinks because everything is blue for him. Hello, what are you doing? Warming a miracle. He put babu bee babu ba. Well, there's the drop for Hammer now. <laughs> Hammer's got the first drop in wow. Strange New Worlds. All right. Congratulations, Hammer. <laughs> Pike has barricaded himself and Spock in the library and. He's like leaned all the furniture in the room up against the door, which is getting pounded away on by these paw wraiths. And he has drawn his weapon. Spock has drawn a book <laughs> and claims to be arming them with knowledge. And uh, what he comes up with is that the paw wraiths are actually friendly. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't notice this until this scene, but in the wide shot, you see a poster on the wall with the word read on top. Mm. And then there's like a fiery paw wraith holding one of those uh, archive canisters. Right, right. Yeah, next to the one of Whoopi Goldberg just holding a normal book. Right. And it's like, oh, their libraries have these too. Uh-huh. Cool. You can learn to love to read. <laughs> Shoot, I did. <laughs> <laughs> just as the door is getting ready to fail, the window on the other side of the room does fail. Boy, wouldn't they give anything for one of those window braces from uh, Star Trek Four? Maybe even a couple, right? Yeah, I think you would need three in this particular window, right? Because there's yeah. three panes of glass. Yeah. So they got Storm coming at them from one side, Paw Wraith's coming at them from the other side. Time to say your goodbyes, Pike and Spock. This is, this is where you meet your end. You got to be scared that you're going to die here, right? Unless you're Pike. I love the take of Pike's ears popping. Yeah. What a fun detail that was. Yeah. Great stuff. Like that is a line in a script that you could see just getting thrown out. Like yeah. that's five seconds we got to cut from this episode that I feel like wouldn't mean much on the page, but just gives so much detail to this moment. It really does. And what uh, the Paw Wraiths wind up doing is make like a dome over... Pike and Spock, who are lying, like, holding each other on the ground. You're saying the Pyrates give Pike and Spock dome? <laughs> they do. <laughs> it's very hot dome from uh-huh. the looks of it. Really dome them up, and it saves them. The storm does not kill them. Yeah. It passes pretty fast. Mm-hmm. Much faster than I was expecting. <laughs> it does sort of seem like the storm was, like, literally coming for them in the second. It's not going to be able to kill them. It's like, all right, fuck it. I give up and walks away. <laughs> Maybe this is something we could talk a little bit more about later, but did you have a hard time grasping the extent to which the storm was related to the paw wraiths? Because this was a scene that confused me because I thought, okay, if the storm is made of paw wraiths, are these just rogue paw wraiths that are protecting them from the rest of the wraiths in the storm? Or do they just live inside the storm and are impervious to its meteorological power? I couldn't. I mean, clearly it is the latter because of what is revealed at the end, but. Yeah. In the moment, I found it confusing because it seemed like there was a tension between the wraiths and the storm where maybe there wasn't. I couldn't figure it out. I thought that it seemed like they could have just cut away at this moment and then cut back and 
you would have imagined that quite a bit of time had elapsed where right. they were under the dome. Did they build a society in a planet that they knew was subject to ion storms also? <laughs> no, yeah. Maybe that it weren't allowed into the United Federation of Planets because they were fucking idiots. Yeah, guys. Uh, you built too close to the coastline. <laughs> Some real packled shit. And uh, the erosion <laughs> just took your society yeah. straight into the ocean. Yeah. I mean, you build on stilts, but the stilts were not high enough. Yeah. So Una gets her guy down to six bay. Everybody's like, wow, how did you lift him? And uh, it's pretty much just her, Mabenga, and Nurse Chapel still compass mentis on the ship at this point. And so- Did you also find that suspicious? Especially when Mabenga is one of them? Yeah, I did a little bit. I mean, Mabenga definitely gives the hint that he is suffering from this thing as well. But uh, yeah, Una drops a bomb in this scene. She is Illyrium. Yeah. But she's dropped this bomb too late because- what Mabenga says is like, you got this disease and your system defeated it immediately. And if I could have like drawn blood from you at the moment that you were getting it and isolated the, you know, antibodies or whatever, that'd be one thing, but it's gone. It's out of your system. This is low key. One of my favorite scenes in the episode because of what Nurse Chapel does. I think Nurse Chapel is the conduit through which Una's news flows into Mabenga. Yeah. Because Mabenga has to be riding for the Starfleet line of, what the fuck? What? <laughs> but because Chapel takes it and absorbs it in like two seconds, you, like the camera's on her when she listens to the news yeah. and she views it as a scientist and as a way to help the crew in a way that I think gets Mabenga on that page. Yeah, I think that's true. And Mabenga, I think, is also just annoyed that he like didn't know this important information until it was way too late to do anything useful with it. Right. So he's pretty cranky and he's starting to show more and more signs of the illness. And so uh, they have to knock him out. And no sooner has that happened than uh, the warp core containment field gets deactivated. Yeah. What is this third in the series of things in another part of the ship that Una is involved with, that then she gets called away to an emergency that the computer tells her about. Yeah. She's a real fireman in this episode, and maybe that's why she's doing the fireman's carry. Yeah, there you go. She's putting out the fires everywhere. It's a living thing, Brian. It breathes, it eats. She's putting out fires left and right. This one started by La'an, who kind of like zombie-like got up out of her bed and went down to the warp core to bathe herself in the light of nuclear fire. <laughs> right. Warning, containment field has been deactivated. Warp core breach imminent. Lon, stop! They get in a great big Star Trek fight in the warp core. This is a really fun combat sequence, like really fun, like high kicks and, and like nice wide shots. So they are both really doing a great job of beating each other up. <laughs> I feel like an essential quality to a Star Trek fight is that it's both physical and mental. There's some shit talking yeah. along with the swinging. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of that here too. You're an abomination, an augment. It's really intense. And toward the end, Una is like over Laan and like holding her down. And then they both do that ember glow thing that Una did in the earlier scene when she secretly got the disease. It is kind of a magic trick 
how unsexy this moment is, but if I were to describe to you that number one is straddling La'an in engineering, and they're both breathing heavy and glowing, (laughs) and I was to tell you that also that would not be a sexy moment in this episode. They didn't play it for horny. Yeah, they didn't. In a way that like a Roddenberry-helmed show for sure would have. Right. I wonder if it's because they shot it so wide. And because engineering is such a distracting place visually anyway. Maybe, yeah. Ben, hmm. it's time. Hmm. It's time for me to make the biggest bet I've ever made on a Star Trek show, all right? All I do is bets, bets, bets. No what- Let's hear what your wager is. I'm going into my wallet and I'm grabbing... I've got a wallet that carries bricks of latinum, oh, okay? yeah. So it's like kind of a, a bandolier... Situation. Yeah, you're not one of those people that's uh, buying a an extremely slim wallet from a banner ad on the internet. You're yeah. You have a big one. You got a you got a Costanza scale capacity. I need everything in there. And what's great is I'm very wealthy from all of my Star Trek Picard season two bets. I'm gonna take all of those <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. along with my original bankroll, and I'm gonna put all of those bars of latinum on this bet. Okay. Una's imperviousness to radiation is going to come into play when it's time for Pike to play out his terrible fate. Wow. Una is going to save his life in that scene and change his destiny. That's what I think. Wow. I think that's what this setup is. So. Because you hear the computer in the background of the scene, like... Radiation levels are now toxic to organic species. It's very specific about that. So, I mean, we could it could be seasons and seasons before we uh, before we get the answer to this bit. I know I hate having all my money, you know, just sort of taken up in a futures bet like this, but yeah. I think it's a strong bet. Okay. It is time for Pike and Spock to go home. They're uh they're through the storm. They survived. They both got dome. They got they're both in their refractory period and they're uh they're reading They're both kind of zipping up and walking out to the patio, reading some scrolls and having a smoke just in the uh. <laughs> in the afterglow. And yet the ship is too fucked up to beam them up. Yeah. They're talking about like, you know, who who were those helpful paw wraiths who domed us up, you know? <laughs> I mean, I've heard of ghosts giving blowjobs. Uh everybody's seen that scene in Ghostbusters, but this is ridiculous. There were 3 of them. Hey, maybe uh, they don't want you to call after. Maybe it was just the one-time thing. Yeah. Did they leave a number? Did they like tear a corner out of one of these scrolls and write a number down? Pretty interesting moment here when Spock puts it all together, right? Right. Because Pike's like, what the hell? What the hell was up with that dome? (laughs) (laughs) And Spock is like, it's clear now that these are the Illyrians. Yeah. They became more powerful than anyone could possibly imagine. They turned into paw wraiths in trying to undo their genetic experiments on themselves. Imagine walking back all of your advancements as a species and that being what leads to becoming a being of pure energy. Yeah. Yeah, maybe they should have just stayed the course on progress. They got this light disease. They walked into those ion storms, caught lightning. Now they're just given ghostly blowjobs forever. Yeah. It seems like a thankless existence, you know? Mainly because of how Spock and Pike react, <laughs> like they were entitled to it in some way, and they don't reciprocate. Boy, things were great when we were genetically improved, just going about <laughs> our lives. But now, 
I'm condemned to this weird fate where I'm a pa wraith giving blowjobs to people. <laughs> Man, all I wanted to do was join the Federation and all I, like, that's what the, <laughs> that's what the t-shirt says. That, like, toward the end on Illyria, like, all I wanted to do was join the Federation, but all I got was turned into a pa wraith giving blowjobs in this lousy t-shirt. <laughs> Speaking of characters that didn't get what they bargained for, Mabenga wakes up on a bio bed and Una's like, hey, good news. We came up with a chimeric antibody based on my Star Trek fight with La'an. Turns out I am immune. My Illyrian DNA finds a way to solve for any disease and we were able to isolate it because it worked on La'an. And now we're saving everybody on the ship. And Babenga validates this. He's like, wow, you literally saved every single person's life on board. Good for you. All it took was you straddling another crew person in engineering. (laughs) Yeah. So that's weird. (laughs) Una's like, cool, Doc. That's all I got for you. And then wheels around and go straight for where La'an is. And La'an is in the ship's most beautiful room. Yeah, this is, uh, we'll call it 10 forward, because what else are we going to call it? It's the bar on board the Enterprise, right? She is just going to town on these strawberries. Strawberries are my comfort food. Do they taste like shit, or are they the real thing? Because this is so far in the future's past. You know that that scene where Troy goes through her ritual when she eats Mm -hmm. some chocolate? Really hits Mm -hmm. different when you know that the chocolate is literally shit. (laughs) Grinish every bite. That's pretty good for shit. Yeah. I think we got the two girls, one cup music in there somewhere. (laughs) Oh, no. Gross. They have a a conversation that is like, Lon's grievance here is super valid. Like, you kept a pretty horrific secret that, you know, is both against Federation law, but also kind of a personal betrayal of me, a person who could benefit greatly from knowing that like one of my most important mentors in my career suffers from a kind of discrimination that I have also felt some of the teeth of. You know what? I'm shaking my head here because I'm going to be the Eleanor Clift of this McLaughlin group and go, (laughs) but also... Una is La'an's superior officer. Like, Una could not share this secret with her because it wouldn't be fair. The cost of doing that would cost her so much. Yeah. Because of their difference in rank, I think. You couldn't be an effective commander with a subordinate having that to hold over your head. I just don't think you could do it. And I think it's unfortunate that that aspect to this truth hiding wasn't a part of the conversation. Like there's a professional aspect to this Mm -hmm. that's there, but all they talk about is the personal. Yeah. I mean, I think that we don't know all of the contours of their relationship yet. And maybe we'll come to understand that there is something more akin to a peer relationship. They could be closer than friends, closer than family. Who knows? And she will let her go. And you must do the same. I mean, that, this scene sort of indicated that to me, but if that doesn't bear out in the rest of their character development, I could see this scene retroactively seeming a little bit miswritten right. in the way that you describe. Right. 
The next scene is Una putting her, her badge and her piece on the captain's desk. I am resigning my commission and surrendering myself for disciplinary review. Did Una need to rip it from her uniform? Like, this is two straight uniforms now that <laughs> that Una's just shredded. <laughs> yeah, right kind of in the same area. Yeah. Interesting. Pike does not accept her resignation. Yeah. Not only that, he is totally willing to step between Starfleet and Una in whatever punishment comes down. Yeah. And I think that's cool as hell. Yeah, it's really good. It's a lead by example moment. It's basically like I'm shoulder to shoulder with you on this crew, but I will back you up in any fight. And that sort of, I feel like, influences the way Una treats Mabenga in the next scene. A great manager accepts the blame and shares the success. And I think that's what's going on here. Yeah. So she has to call Mabenga on this. Like the the medical transporter not having gotten upgraded at the last star base is a big part of why all this happened. And what were you hiding in there? What is this thing in the pattern buffer that is so important to you that you would put the life of the whole crew at risk? He... Did not think that having somebody in the pattern buffer would lead to this. It's an I didn't know, not a I <laughs> let everybody's life be at risk, even though I knew. But um, it's still a really bad look for him. Like, it doesn't seem like they could have like solved it by like running a diagnostic on the medical transporter when Hammer was trying to do that. But it's also, yeah, like a another big secret that's being kept on this ship. I really love how Una is stoic to disapproving in this scene and then bounces back up to stoic again. Yeah. Like she understands, but not in a way that is I guess what I'm trying to say is like emotionally the scene is so interesting because Una was just given the grace from Pike in the previous scene and her version of giving grace to Mabenga is so different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But but it's true to her. Like she's never going to be like Pike. No. I want to be like Pike. <laughs> I want to be I want to be like Pike. <laughs> That's not Una. That's what I'm saying. Right. And uh, she she is authentically herself. She throws him a bone. She's like, cool. Well, the thing he admits to her is that the thing in the transporter buffer is his daughter who is suffering from an inoperable disease. And he's hoping his position on board a starship that does what the Enterprise does will put him in contact with a species that knows how to cure it or some kind of discovery that will solve this problem. And in the meantime, Una is going to like hook him up with extra warp power for the buffer so that uh, they can use the medical transporter as designed, but he can also keep his daughter in the pattern buffer for as long as he needs to. It would have been funny if it were Scotty in the pattern buffer. <laughs> I'm here too. <laughs> the disease was in my 10th finger. <laughs> The details of this tech go by so fast, but I think it is so interesting how a person can live in there indefinitely as long as you beam them out from time to time. Yeah. And that's what Mabenga does. Like, story time is that time to time. That kid's life is story time all the time. 
What you don't get in this scene, because it can't show you this, is whether or not his daughter knows. Does she know she's sick? One. And two, does she know she's being kept in a pattern buffer? She's like, holy shit, you grew a beard in like a second. What the hell happened? Is it like most little kids who don't want to go to bed? Like, is there kicking and screaming about being put back in the pattern buffer? And how horrible would that be to experience for a viewer? Nightmare. I'm very curious about how much more we see of Mabanga's daughter for that reason. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, the button on the episode is a little personal log from Una that uh, she then deletes, talking about her own Illyrian genetics and the the way she's come closer to both pike and also dr mbenga through the process of uh being a little bit more vulnerable about herself yeah and uh that's the episode adam did you like this one computer delete adam's track from (laughs) this episode oh shit This episode's going to suck. <laughs> That's what Una does at the end of her log. She does that uh, that whole record the log. Eh, I've got second thoughts. Yeah. I don't want to put it in the record that I'm an Illyrian. Yeah. I did really like this episode, and it was pretty unexpected in its construction for one main reason to me, and that is in the third episode of a first season, Pike and Spock are mostly gone this episode. They are sent off to the B story and not just the B story, but like the deep B story. Yeah. And the episode turns its co-stars into the star and it is still really good and really interesting Mm -hmm. and really beautiful in a lot of ways, not just on the planet surface and with the storm and all that. But the more we see of the ship, the more of a beautiful place it's becoming to me. I really like this third episode. I think- I guess one other qualification I want to add is that like, it feels sometimes manipulative for an episode to suggest that we shouldn't trust people that we should. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of instances here where we get that. And I'm not talking about Una, I'm talking about Mabanga, you know? Yeah. It's running up against that tension of modern storytelling and classic Star Trek character development where we're like, these people aren't bad people, and we know they're not. Right. But because I'm a modern television viewer, I'm kind of prepared for the double cross from everyone, yeah. especially in a new series where I don't know any, everyone or who they're going to end up becoming. So I think this is a show that's self-aware about that and is maybe using that to its storytelling advantage or its yeah. tension-building advantage. And I don't know how I feel about that because it feels a little bit like cheating to me. Yeah. I don't know if I can put it any other way. What about you? Well, I think that, yeah, like I had that fear right at the beginning of this episode with number one and the episode very much self-consciously is using that to, yeah, you know, change the way you think about her. But yeah, Did I, you I, think one of the, the, the little brunette girl in, in the picture that she pulls up on screen, do you think that's her? Oh, I uh, I didn't put that together. But yeah, the uh, it did seem like she was researching a specific different Illyrian colony, so. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Interesting story. Can't wait to uh, get to that Enterprise episode that introduces the Illyrians. I think they had, like, loaf in in that. Oh, really? Yeah, so. Well, maybe that'll be a bonus episode at some point where we go and do some research. That'll be the first Star Trek Enterprise (laughs) episode we will have ever watched. 
Yeah. I mean, it won't be the first episode I ever watched. Right, because you saw them all. I watched all that shit. Yeah, but I, I guess, uh, yeah, this is definitely not my favorite Strange New Worlds episode so far, but I thought it was another really well done one and very interesting, and I remain pretty bullish on this show. Yeah, me too. Good stuff. Well, you want to see if there's any good stuff in the P1 inbox, Adam? You know there is, Ben. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Starting with our first priority one message, it's from John and Vicky. Hey! And it's to Ben and Adam. The message goes like this. We know you wouldn't let us pay for your drinks, but you can't stop us from buying a P1 at you. (laughs) Thanks for a fantastic show in Toronto. And for chill hangs afterwards. We had a blast. Next year, drinks are on us. In the meantime, does a P1 get us a Ben Talks About Africa drop? (laughs) (laughs) Wow, we have not played that one in a long, long time. I guess that's what you get for your money. You can you uh, can call your drop shot. Yeah. Ben gets the call very late at night. His wife hears only whispers of some quiet conversation. He's coming in 1230 flight. Status upgrade into a lay flat seat for sleep salvation. He clears customs with a carnet, hoping to film some fun exotic worlds or eat the rawest meat. He returns and cannot wait to say, boy oh boy, I've got stories for you. It doesn't take a lot to get me telling you. There's nothing Ben would love more than to tell you Ben's gonna talk about Africa It's gonna take some time to tell you things you've never asked A drop that is longer than the entire P1's portion of the episode Yeah Vicky, of course, wrote us into uh, her series of novels. Right. The Devil's Revolver. Yeah. We always uh, we always enjoy catching up with Vicky and John when we're in Toronto. Uh, Adam, our next priority one message here is from Andrew, Alicia, and the girls. And it's to Chris. It goes like this. You may not have Chris Brenner bucks, but you're my Chadich and brother. I hope I never forget you and our Miriam, Minnie, McLaughlin groups. <laughs> Happy birthday to an O'Brien who doesn't hate his family. <laughs> P.S. Sorry I can't make the DC live show with you. I'm holding out for Ben and Adam to play a synagogue again. Wow. Yeah, well, it was uh, it was high holiday stuff going on when we were in DC, so the synagogue was not available to us. We did challenge that date, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty hard, actually. Yeah, they, they, uh, they were busy. <laughs> <laughs> How would you guys like to play the movie theater and we play the synagogue? We'll just switch it around. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to get a priority one message on the show, head to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron and set it up now. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself an Edward Larkin? I don't know, man. When I saw... Uh, how excited Hammer was getting about <laughs> beaming that chunk of uh, planetary core onto the ship. I mean, that's a guy. That's a guy who's ready to 
shave a triple yeah yeah and cook it like a scallop yeah that's that kind of thinking he's my edward larkin what about you i did not write down the time code of this but at one point uno walks into the really big overflow six bay that they have on the ship and there's just a guy like a nurse is giving him a floor lamp to go over his bio bed and he's just he's you know an extra that's been asked to play fiend for light and yeah he's just playing the hell out of it i uh <laughs> just got a, a kick out of that moment so uh that guy is my edward larkin for this episode good one you get a lot of uh, background floppers this episode yeah. in the six bay. <laughs> they really, they really spare no expense with the background people on this show. Did you notice there there were a ton of disrobed dudes wearing black boxer briefs and a lot of women wearing the white nurse chapel style uniform in that scene? I did. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All of them were flopping around though. Yeah, a lot of flops. <laughs> well adam that just about does it for our episode today we're going to throw to our editor for information about the next episode of strange new worlds that we'll be covering right here next week on the greatest discovery in the meantime thanks uh, everybody for listening see you next week bye bye The Greatest Discovery is an expert Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica. It's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next up on Star Trek Strange New Worlds, it's episode four, Memento Mori. While on a routine supply mission to a colony planet, the Enterprise comes under attack from an unknown malevolent force. Pike brings all his heart and experience to bear in facing the crisis, but the enemy cannot be dealt with by conventional Starfleet means. A very big thank you to Adam Ragusea, who composed all of the original music that you hear on this show. He's got a great podcast and a YouTube cooking channel that you should definitely check out. Thanks as well to the card daddy, Bill Tilly, who handles all the social media for Uxbridge Shimoda. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Greatest Trek and use the hashtag Greatest Discovery to talk about the show online. We really appreciate every single member who gives monthly at MaximumFun.org slash join. You're making the ongoing production of this show possible. We also appreciate your five-star reviews and when you recommend the show to a friend. And if you're new here, we want to say welcome. There's a huge back catalog covering all of the new Star Trek series and so much more. And I think you're going to love it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with more of The Greatest Discovery. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.